What's up, Ace 12? How you guys doing tonight? Yes. Welcome to the Back to School Bass. How are you guys doing? Man. Hey, listen, I just want to give a quick shout out to my Bethlehem peeps that are hanging out with us tonight. Where are you guys at? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, man, we want to thank you for being at Back to School Bass. I'm just, just a question. Who in here got you some Chick-fil-A when you got here tonight? Anybody? Anybody with me? Like that's, like, that's like God's food right there, you know what I'm saying? What about, uh, how many of you guys got the opportunity to dunk Pikachu? A few of you guys, all right, all right, yeah, listen, hey, whatever. All right, well, man, y'all feeling good tonight because I'm feeling good and I'm ready to jump in. Y'all ready to jump in? All right, so here's the deal. Tonight, I believe that God has something to say to each and every person in this room. It's what we've been praying for We've been asking God to show up, to have his presence in this place. In fact, I think that tonight, there'll be times where you're sensing, man, you know what? I feel like God is speaking straight to me. In fact, every seat in this entire place has been prayed over multiple times today because tonight is significant. In fact, for some of you, I believe that tonight could be potentially the most important night of your entire life. And so we're gonna jump in tonight and I wanna share a story with you guys that has so much meaning for me. In fact, if you got your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. It's on page 1048 in your worship center Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one under your seat. If you don't wanna look in the Bible, that's completely fine, but there's a $100 bill at Luke chapter 15 and one of the Bibles in this room sitting around this place. So I would pull out the Bible underneath your chair and check it. That'll get you motivated. Now, he say, you don't have to shake it. Just go to Luke 15. Anybody got it? Who's got the $100 bill? Where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Somebody's got to have it. Luke chapter 15. In fact, I know what seat it was in. It was in this section right here. You got it? Rebecca's got it. Oh, yeah. Hi. All right, so let's jump in. Listen, listen. I did not, I did not grow. It's, a, it's in, a, it's in a chair 402. So if you're sitting in chair 402, it's in your chair. It's in your Bible. Uh, so in, uh, in uh, my, uh, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have the story of I've been a Christian my whole entire life, that I've known Jesus. In fact, for me, I, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, kind of doing my own thing. In fact, I thought church was boring. I thought it was useless. I didn't think it really mattered or anything like that. And so when I was 17 years old, going into my senior year of high school, I had an encounter with God that completely changed my life. I'll talk about that a little more in a little bit. And it was so unbelievable. I was so on fire for God that, uh, that I wanted to know how I could know him more. And so I was talking to my youth pastor and I said to my youth pastor, hey, listen, is there any way that you can help me like learn about God and learn about more about who he is? And this is what he said. He says, yeah, listen, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a Bible and I'd never read the Bible before. And he says, and I want you to read the book of Luke. And so I took the Bible and I opened up to the book of Luke and I started reading and in two days I read the whole book of Luke. I couldn't get enough of it. But when I was reading the book of Luke, I came across this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15. And it was like when I read this story, I just had to keep reading it over and over and over again because it was like the Bible was telling my story. In fact, even to this day, the story that I'm gonna share with you, this is one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. The truth is, it's not just my story, 
but it is also your story. It is the story of every person in this room and every person can connect to this story that Jesus tells in this passage of scripture. And so I want us to jump in. I want to set the stage because the first two verses of this, uh, of this passage sets the stage for what's going to happen. And so we're going to jump in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read verses one and two to start out with. Check this out. This is what it says. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the religious people and the teachers of the law muttered. Now you know something's going on when people are muttering. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I've learned this when I read through the Bible and you see people muttering and Jesus is around, usually Jesus says something. And so these people are muttering and, and, uh, and they're saying, this man welcomes sinners to eat with him. So Jesus is out here teaching and he's hanging out and he's teaching and, and people are coming around and he's eating and he's teaching and the people that are congregating around Jesus are the sinners, these are the people who were the rebellious ones, the one that no one wanted to give attention to in the religious community, the self-righteous people who were the Pharisees, who were the teachers of the law. And Jesus steps on the scene and he says, hey man, like I have something to offer to these people. And these people were drawn to Jesus. What I think is interesting about it is, is that the people that we see hanging out with Jesus are the people who were the thieves. People who are liars, people who are sexually promiscuous, drug dealers. These are the type of people that found their company with Jesus. And the religious people are going, hey, bro, check it out, Jesus. Like, people look up to you, and you shouldn't be hanging out with these people because they're going to give you a bad reputation. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Let me help you understand what I'm doing. Because you need to know that God loves these people. That he cares about these people so deeply. And Jesus begins to lay out three stories to show how the father loves people. How he loves the people that religious people and self-righteous people like to dismiss and push aside. And he begins to share these stories. And, and I'm going to lock in on the third story. But I want to highlight for you and mention to you just a little bit of the first two stories he tells. Because they feed into the third story. In fact, if you want more on the first two stories, you can go to look at uh, on our podcast online and see last week's teaching on the first two stories. But he opens up with a story about a shepherd. And the shepherd represents God. And he says, hey, let's say a shepherd has a hundred sheep. And the sheep represent us. It represents people. And he says, let's say a shepherd has 100 sheep and he loses one of them. Would he not leave the 99 to go out and rescue the one? See, the shepherd's role was to be the provider and the protector for the sheep. That he would do whatever is necessary to protect the sheep. They were valuable to him. In fact, we know from this passage that sheep represent material value to a shepherd. And we know from history, from tradition, that if a sheep was to get lost, everyone in this day would have understood that a lost sheep is a dead sheep. And Jesus says, would the shepherd not go out, leave the 99, do what he had to do to rescue the sheep? We also know from tradition that when the, the, the shepherds and the sheep would get back to the village uh, in the evening, if a shepherd was still out looking for the sheep, the village would be waiting in anticipation for the shepherd to come over the horizon with the sheep on his shoulders. And if he did, they would throw this massive party. They would celebrate that the shepherd and the sheep were okay. And then Jesus tells another story. And you'll see this progression of value, how it increases from story to story. And he tells the story of this woman. 
And he says she loses this coin. She has 10 coins. Remember, it was one in 100 that was lost last time. This time it's one in 10. She has 10 coins and she loses one of them. And it says, and he says, would this woman not clean her house and light a lamp and look everywhere in her house to search for this coin. Now, we're not talking about like a quarter that you lose. If you lose a quarter at your house, you're probably gonna look for like 10, 15 seconds. You're like, all right, no big deal. I lost a quarter. It's probably like on the floor in between a couch cushion. I don't feel like moving the couch out of the way. You know what I'm saying? This is not one of those coins. These women uh, would save up these coins through their whole uh, childhood and through their life. They would save these coins up because these 10 coins would become a part of a headdress that they would wear during their wedding. It would be like losing your wedding dress. It has more value than just the, the price tag on it. It has a sentimental value to it. And so because that sentimental value, this woman would look for it. And in this story, the picture is that God is like this woman, that if she was to lose one of these things that had so much value to her, she would do whatever she had to do in her power to find that coin. In fact, uh, if you wanna know uh, how important sentimental value things are over material value things, if you've ever uh, met someone or seen someone whose, whose house is burned down, I mean, that's a tragic thing. And, and when someone's house burns down and they may lose something that's really expensive in their home, but what are the things that they talk about? They talk about the things that they can't replace. Man, you can replace some things, but they talk about their wedding album. They talk about their baby picture. They talk about the jewelry that they've lost. They talk about things that have sentimental value to them. It's more than just material value. It's not the price tag on it. It's just, it's just more serious than that. But here's the deal, here's the deal. If your house burned down and you lost a child, a brother, a sister, you wouldn't be talking about wedding albums and jewelry. You would be talking about the fact that you lost a family member. And Jesus is about to up the ante. And he begins to tell this story about a dad who had two sons. And, and this dad who had these two sons, he, one of them decides that, that, that he's gonna go away. We're gonna read this in a second. And the other one decides he's gonna be there. And his two sons, he has a younger son, he has an older son. And the father in this story is a representation of God. That when you see the father in this story act, when you see the father in the story do something, it is actually how God responds to us. It is how God thinks about us. It's how God looks at us. And we're gonna talk through that as we go through the story in a minute. But he has a younger son and an older son. The older son is like the religious. He does everything the right way. And then the younger son dismisses his father. He runs off, he does his own thing. And what I want you to see in this story is that not only is Jesus telling this to the religious and to the sinner that are both listening, but he's also telling this story to us because both sons are equally distanced from him. Let's jump into the story. It says in verse 11, we'll jump down to verse 11, it says this, it says, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The father in the story is God. We, we kind of got that picture in verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my, my state, my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Listen, listen, this is what the father's saying. I'm sorry, the younger son's saying. He goes to his dad, he says, hey dad, we need to talk. He pulls his dad aside and he says, hey dad, listen, I wanna get my inheritance. Dad, I want my inheritance. And I can imagine the confusion on his father's face because in our culture today, as well as the culture then, you did not get the inheritance until your parents had passed away. 
Literally, what the son is saying to his dad is, hey, dad, listen, listen, listen. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want the, the things that you can provide for me, but, but I, don't, I don't want a relationship with you anymore. Dad, I want you to give me the inheritance that, that, that I feel like I deserve. Can you imagine the pain that this must have been. It's literally like his son saying that I wish you were dead. I mean, I have a little girl, she's two and a half years old, she's the cutest thing ever. She's actually here tonight, she's up in the childcare, she was hanging out earlier, and, and when she comes, I mean, I could never imagine her coming up to me and saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I can't think of anything that would be more painful to hear from any person. And this is what this son does to his father. Now, I can imagine everybody listening would have been like, oh, well, snap, what did the dad do? I mean, this son didn't deserve the money. The dad had worked his entire life for it. I mean, this is the time for, for Papa to do some smackdown. You know what I'm saying? In fact, in this culture, this is what would have happened. Dad would have kicked son's butt, would have kicked him to the curb and told him to never come back to his house. But what do we see about the character of God in this story? The Bible says that God, that the father gave him what he wanted. The father gave him what he wanted. Like, that's crazy. What do you mean? Like, he just went and, like, took the money out of the bank and half of what he owned, he just went ahead and gave it to his son. Yeah, that's what the dad did. Is that not crazy? This is what I want you to hear. Listen, listen, listen. We are the younger son in the story. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. You have and I have. I don't have to convince you that. Every, raise your hand if you've lied before. Raise your hand. That's everybody. If you're not raising your hand right now, you're lying, right? Like, raise your hand if you've ever lusted before. That's all of us. Raise your hand if you've ever stolen something before. Even if it's like a small toy when you were a kid, all of us have. We've all done things in our life. We've, we've all sinned. And, as, and because of this, because of this, listen, listen, listen. This is what we say when we live in our sin. We say, hey, God, I want your inheritance. God, I want you to give me what you can give me. God, bless my life. God, give me heaven one day. But God, I'm gonna live my life like you're dead to me. Like I'm not concerned with anything that you have to say in my life. God, listen, listen, listen. I want your blessings. I want what you can give me, but I don't want your boundaries. I don't want anything that you would have to say to me. God, God, this is, listen, listen, dad, I want your money, but I don't want a relationship with you. And what's crazy about this story is God lets him have what he wants. This is what I'm here to tell you. God will never force you to love him. God will never force you into a relationship with him. It goes against his character. He desires a relationship with you, just like the father desires a relationship with his son. He pursues a relationship with you. He longs for a relationship with you, but he will never make you be in a relationship with you. God gives you that choice. I was meeting with a student not long ago. She's 16 years old. She recently found out that she's pregnant. Can you imagine the blow that that must be being 16 years old and finding out that you're pregnant? I've been doing this a long time. It happens a lot more often than you think. For her, this was devastating. And we're having the conversation and she says, how can God let me get pregnant? How could he let me get pregnant? And I said, well, if, if God stopped you from getting pregnant, he would have had to have stopped you from sleeping with your boyfriend. 
And if he had stopped you from sleeping with your boyfriend, he would have had to have stopped you from disobeying him. And if he had stopped you from disobeying him, that means that he would have had to have forced you to obey him and forced you to love him. And that goes against his character. It's not God's fault that you're pregnant. You chose to sleep with your boyfriend. Your pain is self-inflicted. And what you're gonna see in this story is, is that this son goes out and he blows all of his money on wild living and his pain becomes self-inflicted. Watch what happens in the story. It says this, it says, it says uh, not long, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got all of his stuff together and he set off to a distant country. He wanted to get as far away as he could and there squandered his wealth on wild living. He's living it up, he's making it rain. He's doing whatever he wants to do. He's outside of the boundaries of his father. He doesn't have anybody looking over his shoulder. He can be the God of his own life. He's throwing parties. He's hanging out with friends. He's doing it up. He's got the life that he thinks he wants. And he begins to burn through this money that his father's given him. And here's the deal, this is what happens. He's not only burning through his wealth, but he's also He's not just squandering his wealth, he's squandering his life. He's squandering his life. And we see that's what happens in verse 14. It says, and after he had spent everything, he has no money left, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country. See, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I want you to picture this story. He spent all of his money. He has nothing left. He doesn't know what to do. He's homeless. He doesn't have any food to eat. And he goes as a Jewish man to work with pigs is a pretty big deal because they were considered unclean. But, but he, goes, he goes to this guy who, who he basically makes himself a slave to and he begins to work as a slave under this guy working with pigs. And, and as he's out here being a slave and, and working for these pigs, it says that he longed for the food that the pigs were eating. Now, I grew up on a farm and we have pigs and pigs are disgusting. They're dirty. They smell like butt. You know what I'm saying? Like pigs are just nasty. And it says that he longed to crawl up next to them and eat the slop that they were eating. Man, how desperate do you have to be to long to eat the food of the pigs? And he's starving. He's starving to death that literally his sin is leading them to a place of death. In fact, this is what Jesus, or this is what the Bible says in Romans. It says in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. This is where sin leaves us. It destroys our life. It takes us out. See, sin always promises freedom. We think while we're living it up that this is freedom, but it always delivers slavery. And that's what it did for this guy. In fact, there's sort of this, this famous, uh, uh, famous quote um, that says, sin will promise you more than it, than it gives. It'll take you further than you wanna go. And it leaves you worse off than you were before. He thought he could be the boss of his own life and this would bring him freedom, but it just brought him slavery. And I want you to see what it says in the, pa in the passage. Apparently once his wealth was gone, so were his friends. Look what it says, no one gave him anything. This is what I've noticed in my life personally and this is what I've noticed in the lives of the people around me. You will have a line of people around you while you're squandering your life. But once your life is squandered, you'll be alone. 
I was talking to a guy I know a couple years ago. He's in prison for the next 20 years. This guy was the party house. Friends over there all the time. He always had people around him. He was a drug dealer, which is what eventually got him to to arrest it and, and, and the reason why he's in prison. And I was talking to him after he was in prison. I said, bro, listen, man, like you were the life of the party, man. People, you had friends, all this kind of stuff. You know, we were talking about this, having this conversation. He says, listen, listen, listen. The thing that has shocked me the most about being in prison is that not one of my friends has came and visited me one time. He had a line of people there when he was squandering his life, but once his life was squandered, he was alone. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, this is what we all have to do. We all have to come to our senses. And it says, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. He has this moment where he comes to his senses. This is a big deal in his, in his life. He, finally, the light bulb moment came on, comes on. Finally, he realizes that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy the deepest longings of his soul that only the father can, can, can fulfill. The only thing that can satisfy the, deep, can satisfy the deepest longings in your soul is what God the Father can feel. No amount of friends, no amount of popularity, no relationship with no guy and no girl, no, no, no anything can satisfy the things that can feel, fulfill like God can fulfill. And this is where this story intersects my life. When I was in middle school, I longed, like many of us longed when we were in middle school and even today in high school, I longed to be accepted. I longed to be popular. I longed to have friendships. I longed to be, to be whatever you wanted to be in order to climb the social ladder within my school. And I thought that if I got sports accolades that that would bring that about. And I thought that if I did certain things and certain people would think that I was cool. And so when I was in eighth grade, I started smoking marijuana. And then when I was in ninth grade, I started drinking. And, and then by the time I was a junior in high school, I was drinking almost every day. I got alcohol poisoning twice. My junior year of high school almost died. I mean, it was a it was a, a dead-end road that my life was leading down. I was getting in fights all the time, getting in trouble all the time. And here's the thing. I got popularity and I got sports accolades and I got a, the girl and I got this and I got all the things that I thought would fulfill me in my life, yet I still felt utterly empty in my life. Because the truth is, the only thing that can fill the greatest need that you have, your soul need, is a relationship with Jesus. It's why Hollywood leads the world in suicide rate. These are the richest people in the world. They have Lamborghinis and Ferraris in their driveway. They can go to any vacation place at any time they want. They got private jets. They got all the money and all the things that this world can provide. And they still are so utterly empty. Because you get to this place where you realize, you know what? I've got all this stuff and I'm still empty. I thought these things would fulfill, but they don't fulfill. Because your soul has a need and the only thing that can fulfill it is Jesus. The only thing, it's the, it's the proverbial, we all have a God-shaped hole inside of us. And he's the only one that can fill it. 
Yet I know what many of us in this room are gonna do. We're gonna leave this place and we go out and we get back with our friends and we're at school tomorrow and we start playing the game again of just trying to be accepted, trying to fill those longings that are in our soul and those needs that we have. And over and over and over again, we get disappointed. Over and over and over again, it comes up short. Over and over and over again, we find ourselves in the pit. We find ourselves in the place that this younger son finds himself in. And sometimes our misery has to be greater than our pride in order for us to see the light. So his son decides to go home to his father, and this is where the story gets crazy. Notice this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Notice this, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I want you to picture this, man. This, this father, this father was longing to see his son. We don't know how long the son's been away, how long it took him to squander his money. We can guess years that his son has been away squandering his father's money. And, and, and you can almost picture it that every single day the father is just sitting there when he's working around the house and he's working outside and he's doing the things that he needs to do on his property. And he's always looking down that long road that leads up to his house, hoping that maybe way off of the distance he would see this speck heading in his direction that would have some kind of resemblance to his son. And it says that, that one day he sees him while he was a long way off. You can see this anticipation of the dad looking and, and he sees his son a long way off and he, and he sees him coming forward. But he's not sure it's his son because he's so far away. But, but as he gets closer, he sees the resemblance of him. He's a little bit more disheveled than he was when he left. But he sees the resemblance. And he says, could this be my son? And, and so he begins to run to him. Listen, listen, you have to hear this. In this day, men did not run. It was considered embarrassing. It was considered dishonorable. But when your son comes home, you run. The picture here is that when we come to our senses and we turn to God, he runs to us and he wraps his arms around us. And it says he wraps his arms around his son and he gives his son a kiss. And his son, I can imagine all the way home, he's been preparing this pathetic speech that he's gonna tell his dad and say, dad, listen, like I know your servants in the house even have food to eat and I've been eating with the pigs. Can I at least just be a servant in your house? I don't expect to be a son. I just wanna be a servant. And his dad jumps in, interjects, doesn't even let him finish and says, son, hold on a second. And he looks back and he says, he says, uh, he says uh, in, in verse 22, he says, he says to one of the servants, quick, bring me the best robe. Dad, what are you, what are you talking about? Don't, don't you want to hear my apology? Hey, hey bring, bring me the best robe. No doubt it was the father's robe because the father would have had the best robe. A symbol that he was brought back into the family. He says, hey, bring me my ring. I'm gonna put my ring on his finger. A, a sign of, of authority and a sign that, that he had been made back into a, a sonship in the family that his dad couldn't stand to see his son be a servant, but he wanted his son to be his son. And then he says, hey, go and kill the fatted calf. Go and kill the fatted calf. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate what God has done. Let's celebrate that my son who was lost is now found. The fatted calf was saved for the most prestigious of celebrations. Oftentimes they would not even sacrifice a fatted calf even for a wedding because it was considered one of the most prized possessions of a family. 
That's how important significant it was. And the father says, go kill the fatted calf. Now listen, every person listening to Jesus as he's telling this story would have been like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you talking about? This is so scandalous. This is so illogical. You mean to tell me that this wayward, wicked, disloyal, dishonorable son is gonna come home and you're going to return him and restore him as your son and you're gonna put your robe on him and you're gonna put your ring on and you're gonna kill the fatted calf and you're gonna have this massive party and celebrate and dance that he's come home. What are you thinking? That makes no sense. What makes sense is when the son comes home, the father says, man, I'm not sure if you're welcome here. You better have a good explanation for why you've come back home. You know, it's gonna take a long time to rebuild the trust that's been broken between you and I. And the father does none of that. The father does none of that. He restores him back to his son. The father delights that his children come home. There's a modern day picture of this I saw in a video. In fact, we showed it a couple years ago. And it's a powerful image of what it looks like for a son who's went off and come back home. It's actually a video of this story. It's about six minutes, check it out. Man, what a powerful picture of that story. Why? Why would the father run to his son? Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. See, when you move from death to life, it is a time to celebrate. Man, this is the picture of humanity. This is the picture of God's love for humanity. That we've all ran our own way. We've all decided to be the God of our own life. We've all decided to be rebellious. And so, and so because of that, because of that in our life, it has caused this separation between us and God. This is what sin does and this is what sin is. And God could have left us that way. God could have just left us to our own devices. He could have left us to destroy our lives. But God loves us so much that God made a way so that we could be made right, so that we could be restored back to him. And God sent his son, Jesus, the one who's telling this story letting these people know how the father loves them, how much he, he loves them, that he would even be willing to pursue them. He would even be willing to have his son die as the spotless, sinless sacrifice for the sins of the world so that we could be made right with him. And Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sin. In my place for my sin. This is the good news. That just like this younger son, he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. There was nothing that he could do. He came to the father helpless. He came to the father begging, Father, I'd rather be a slave in your house. And when we come to God, he says, listen, you're not gonna be a slave in my house. You're gonna be a son. You're gonna be my child. I've been waiting for you. The Bible says that if you will seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. It says, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. Here's the question for you tonight and the challenge for you. 
For those of you that are in this room and you've never given your life to God through Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life over, maybe you've been trying to fulfill all of these things in your life and all of these other ways, but at the end of the day, you're still empty and your pursuit is gonna be a mirage every time it's gonna leave you empty. Because the only thing that can satisfy the deepest soul needs that you have is Jesus himself.